Okay, we come to the second section of uh, this uh, letter that John, or this almost like a sermon that he gives uh, to probably uh, be passed around um, a number of house churches, uh, possibly around the Ephesus area. And uh, the assumption that, that I make today uh, as we come to it, and uh, forgive me if, if it's a wrong assumption, is that what we're looking at is the truth. We're looking at what is true. Um, that's why we're here, right? Because as if we're believers, then we've come to recognize uh, God's Word and the revelation that we have in Jesus Christ is the truth. And uh, that's very much what John is wanting to get across to uh, those uh, who will read his epistle, including ourselves. He is speaking uh, about the message. Corey mentioned that last week. Um, this, verse 5, is the message we have heard, and we proclaim it to you. It's it's something deliberate and clear that he's bringing to the people. You could, you could translate that. This is the message uh, that is messaged. It's the same root word that these two words uh, reflect. Um, it's the same root word that comes, uh, that is connected with the, the word angel, the messenger, uh, that brings a message. And uh, He's wanting to get across that the message of the gospel, the message of the church, the message that has transformed his and their lives is consistent from the very beginning right through to Christ and beyond. It's consistent. God, in the beginning that we read, brought light into the world, created the world. And that with all that happened in between, we come to the Christ who in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. And uh, John says that he is an eyewitness or an ear witness because he speaks about the message that they had heard. And he's bringing that to us and he's bringing it to uh, the original readers. And I think in this letter, um, it's a, a specific message, isn't it? He's, as we mentioned before, he's coming to the end of his life. He's probably the last living apostle and he's got something important to say. And it's a it really is a specific message that he's bringing, a word that he's bringing. In verse uh, uh, 7 of chapter 1, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In chapter 2 in verse 7, he brings this word uh, that uh, they had had from the beginning, which is a new commandment, that they love one another. And in chapter 3 and verse 11, he speaks about this message again that you have heard, that we should love one another. So he's built the foundation of loving God, and he adds now the importance of our fellowshipping with God, and the importance as a result of that of fellowshipping with one another, hugely significant. And that is the core of what he's saying. The commonality and love we have for each other because that is what walking in the light looks like. And in many ways, as he takes the significant and important uh, realities, he is, he is subsuming the whole of God's commands to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the things he's speaking about. And the problem he's addressing is that there is false teaching creeping in, people coming with a message that's different, an understanding that's different, that is bringing division and selfishness and hatred towards one another. 
taking theology and, and uh, take, bringing people into camps and into tribes with their theological pride. Um, and it's antithetical to the whole gospel, uh, that kind of thinking and that kind of living. Knowing God means loving our spiritual siblings. Primarily, it means loving our neighbor and loving our enemy. But here, the focus is very much on the gospel communities, and it's about uh, loving and fellowship with another. Ten times John says in this short uh, sermon stroke epistle, uh, dear children, dear children. He says little children or dear children. It's very pastoral. It's very uh, warm. It's very familial. And what he's getting across is that this truth of loving one another is simply not secondary. It's not unimportant. It's not an added extra. It is fu fundamental to our understanding of, of the theology of God and of knowing who God is and of fellowshipping with God. This is not about whether we're good with people or not, whether we're introverts or extroverts or sociable or not. It's much deeper than that. It goes right to the heart of our understanding of God. And the transformation that God brings, that fellowship with God brings into our, our lives a whole different view of uh, believers and how we love them, not if we love them. The danger is, and John was aware of this, of treating other, other believers as if my knowing God is actually irrelevant to the way I treat them. Not making any serious effort to connect why God being my Savior and the Savior of my fellow believers should make any difference to the way I treat them as a believer myself. And he's wanting to get across that this is the most powerful witness to our fellowshipping with God, the response we have, and the way we treat one another as believers. What then is the uh, theological truth that underpins our community uh, with each other? <laughs> Sorry. A terrible thought just came into my head there about this fly that's flying about my head, which is I'm very tempted to say, oh, the devil's in that fly. Uh, but that's a terrible thing to say because I was at camp many years ago when I was a kid, a, a football camp, and uh, we were in church, and <laughs> it was a hot, sunny day. And uh, it was a hot, sunny day, and the doors were open, and it was on the Highlands, and the door were open, and halfway through the sermon, much to the delight of all the kids like me in the church, a dog came in and came down the front and kind of everyone, you know, you could have been talking about Pluto and no one would have listened because everyone's eyes went in the dog, just as I'm seeing all your eyes on the fly. Uh, and the dog came in and went about and then left. And uh, then um, at the end of the service, one of, one of the leaders who was being very pious uh, said to this old lady who was walking out of the church, said, that was a terrible distraction, wasn't it? I think the devil was in that dog. And she turned around to him and said, what's not? That was my dog. <laughs> uh, it was the minister's wife. <laughs> so uh, th this fly does not belong to anyone. And uh, I don't think I'll offend anyone if I say the devil's in it. Uh, but please try not to be too distracted by it. Because I've got some really important things to say here. So what's the theological uh, truth that underpins our community with each other? 
And it is stated here really clearly uh, in verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. Now, there's two really profound truths expressed in this short letter. The first is that one, God is light. And then in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, God is love. Two of the greatest explanations of the character of God. God is light and God is love. And when he uses this expression of, of light, it's a very powerful biblical uh, image uh, and symbol of the character of God that, that is right through uh, Scripture and often uh, used by John himself. But there's that, li- there's that life that comes with light that is um, made clear in Genesis chapter 1 in the, in the passage, right? the vitality of this of, of the, of the created light, of the sun, of energy and warmth and, and life itself reflected in, in light. But it also speaks of, of revelation as well, goodness and righteousness. And truth in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul in verse 9 speaks about uh, the fruit of the light, that is the fruit of the light of God, is found in all that is good and right and true. So there's, there's a revelatory right, light in the character of God, goodness. And there is obviously purity and perfection. Um, I can't really go into the, the characteristics of, of, of light as such, uh, but there's a purity and a perfection that is reflected in light. And in God, He is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. What an, an astonishing statement of the character of God. No shadows whatsoever. Nothing sinful. A really significant statement. Nothing sinister, deceptive, never disappointment within him, within his Trinitarian character, a perfect and equal love between the three persons of the Godhead. Never messes up. He's never guilty, and he's never wrong. God is light. There's this phenomenal uh, parallel to him being light and in him being no darkness at all. It's everything. It's everything we are not. You know, we can't uh, create life from nothing and light from nothing as he did. Uh, Any light we create is derived light, of course. It's reflected light. But we can't even hide uh, from ourselves. We try to, and we certainly try to hide from others. But there's, there's shadows within us, isn't there? We battle with personal demons. We fall short of our own standards, let alone uh, God's uh, perfect standards. We are guilt-ridden. And we see ugliness around us in uh, the lives uh, that we lead. And John 3, 19, I'm going to p- come back briefly to these John uh, reflections on light. Jesus says that people prefer the darkness rather than the light. So there's this, there's the natural recoiling from the character and purity and perfection and infinitude of God. And it's something that separates us from Him, from His purity, so that we find ourselves under His just judgment. We don't and we can't love Him as Lord. He exposes us, leaves us naked before Him. And that is a hurtful truth for us to consider. And, and kind of worse than that, as we recognize from 2 Corinthians 11, that the devil himself, who we sometimes call the prince of darkness, 
Uh, he's not specifically referred to that uh, in the Scripture. He's called the prince of this world, and, and much of the reference to him is about darkness. But he's, he's referred to as an angel of light there, because that is in the context of false teaching, which is the same context as here, uh, where he exposes, God, uh, uh, Paul exposes uh, deceitful workmen who are disguised as believers, but whose deeds expose them. And that's coming round to what is very important here, not only about our belief and fellowship with God, but how, how that works out in our lives. But these false teachers were divisive, spreading disunity, disharmony, and lovelessness, and separation. So God is everything we're not. Yet, as Christians today, well, what do we do? We, sh- we claim to share commonality with God, don't we? We, we claim, as Corey preached last Sunday, uh, to have fellowship with God. And that's what he was proclaiming. That is relationship, family ties with, commonality with God. How can we in our darkness? We can, of course, because, and we know this, because of Jesus, because God in His power and His love chose to uh, reveal that in emptying Himself in the person of His Son and to die on the cross at midday in darkness, the three hours of darkness, taking this symbolism uh, very clearly uh, to its spiritual level. And so John speaks here about uh, Jesus Christ in chapter 2 and verse 1. He's saying, my dear children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And therein he's, he's explaining why we can have fellowship with God, isn't it? Because he's taught, he explains to them about Jesus, the righteous one. Jesus, the righteous, the light of the world. And if you go through the Gospel of John, we mentioned that last week, uh, you'll find this theme uh, uh, um, repeating itself many times through the Gospel of John. Uh, John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the light who was life and, and connects the two together. Uh, in verse uh, chapter 3, it speaks about Jesus uh, who overcomes the darkness, the light overcoming darkness and exposing it darkness. In chapter 8, we mentioned before, Jesus makes that amazing claim, I am the light of the world. And in chapter 12, he says, no one who believes in Jesus should stay in the dark. So there's this a transformation and change. And then, of, of course, Paul takes that image further by describing Jesus in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, as the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So you have all these interconnecting symbolic uh, pictures of who Jesus is, the righteous one, the right one, uh, the light one, the one in whom there is no darkness, yet the one who becomes the propitiation for our sins, God's own gift to remove and turn away his just wrath against the darkness and blackness and rebellion of our sin. In his perfect love, he provides. He is 
all of that Old Testament sacrificial system pointing forward towards the, the one, the coming of Jesus, who gives his, who empties himself, who sheds his blood, the life being in the blood, and, and goes through the darkness of hell in our place as the God's perfect and only answer to the darkness of our hearts and of the world in which we live and all the brokenness and pain and disordered loves that we recognize. And it's not an interesting verse where he says, not only for our sins, uh, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Is, is that a universalist statement that he, he died for everyone and that everyone uh, is forgiven? And clearly in the light of Scripture, we recognize that that can't be the case. But Imagine a pandemic, and imagine that there's only one vaccination that uh, enables those who uh, become infected to be healed. There's only one vaccination, but while there's only one way of being healed, that vaccination still needs to be applied, it still needs to be taken, uh, it still needs to be uh, individually uh, brought into the life of the, 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 the person. It provides no healing if it remains in a cupboard. And I believe that's the sense in which John is speaking about Jesus' atoning work here. It, it is the only solution. It is the only cure. It's the only answer to the diagnosis we find ourselves in. But it remains only a meaningful and life-changing uh, cure if we embrace and take that salvation of Jesus to ourselves. The Christ himself is the message. He's the one in whom we trust. And because of what Christ has done and laying our trust in him, we become sons and daughters of God, covered by the righteousness of Jesus, his light and indwelt by his life-giving spirit. So, we can be people who say we've seen the light in many ways. We've come to the light. We've confessed the darkness of our sins and no forgiveness. So, I want to finish with this last section, which brings us back to the, the beginning in a sense. Because we're called to walk in the light, aren't we? In verse 7 he says, but if we walk in the light, it's, it's assumed as believers who fellowship with God who is light, we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Now, that's the conclusion, really, of what he's saying. God shares his light with us, and we fellowship with him. Corey emphasized that last week, and it's a major emphasis, that the reality of being Christians is fellowship with God. It's knowing God. It's walking with God. Uh, it's knowing that we've been released from spiritual darkness and the solitary confinement of not knowing God and coming into His presence, walking the hills with our Heavenly Father, basking just in His character and who He is and in His light and in His presence, making up for the lost time and seeking to live anew in a fresh way, looking and facing our living God, reshaping the reality of our lives from the four dark walls of deceit and uh, darkness and unbelief into the freedom of His light. And He speaks of it here as a fellowship with God is 
is, is walking in the light. It's a, it's a great picture. Walking is simply that, uh, that habitual uh, direction of our lives. It defines who we are. You know, we use that in, in you know, what walk of life are, are you in? And uh, which direction are you walking in, in, in the way we think? We, we use it in that term, and that's what it means here. It's, it's the direction in which we're traveling as people that defines who we are, the trajectory of our lives, the choices that we make, the decisions, all to be made in fellowship with God, in prayer, in relationship, in listening, in waiting, in meditating, in this character of God. And I think it's, it's significant that generally speaking in Scripture, it's called a walk, um, because a walk is, is not really a picture of flamboyance or drama. It's kind of the everyday thing, the everyday way we live is our relationship with God. I mean, even the walking race in the Olympics need to be jazzed up a bit to make it exciting so that people wiggle their hips and do things that make it quite funny. But if it was just an ordinary walk, no one would watch it. And, and there's that sense in which um, the walk we have and the fellowship we have with God is, is our everyday direction. And in His company, the perspective it gives us, the awareness of the obstacles that He opens our eyes to, our own heart that He he reveals to us so that we are changing it all the time and living in the light of his truth, his character. And that involves a couple of things as we close. The first is confession of sin uh, in verses uh, 8 to 10. Particularly, he speaks about walking in the light and the paradox of, in doing so, confessing sin. You know, he says if we have uh, if we walk in the light, see in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His truth is not in us. Isn't that interesting that in this walk of light, this walk with God, he wants us to be honest and open and confess that we're imperfect. We're to reject the whole idea that we are sinless. We're to reject the whole idea that our sin doesn't matter. He says, if, you know, if we say we have no sin, the, the, uh, the NIV translates that, if we claim to be without sin, or if we claim not to have sin, and it's quite a strong word that is translated that way. It's, it's kind of making a demand. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not, don't be ridiculous, I'm not a sinner. Uh, and that wasn't sinful. It, he says, don't claim to be like that. Don't defend sinful behavior and make it justifiable as if it's okay. And don't claim to not be sinners. He's saying, that you, you've been exposed by the light. The light of God looks into our hearts and he sees everything. And when we live in such a way, okay, flies, bands, it's not easy today. I'm nearly finished, so I'm going to persevere. So my last point will be to the brass band, okay? But the importance is that it's this recognition that these things are not insignificant. If we say we're, it doesn't matter if we're sinning or not, or if we say, well, I'm sure God doesn't see that, or, or we, we're deceived by our own goodness, then we're making out God to be a liar, and that is, that is a blasphemous accusation. We're saying God isn't light. 
We're saying God isn't truthful. I know my heart better than God. Really, God, I think you've got things wrong there. I'm not sure if you needed to send Jesus all the way to the cross because I'm not so bad. And we make him out to be a liar. And that's tremendously significant because we're putting ourselves above God. We're saying we're the standard. We're what's important. And God doesn't really know. He's, he's old. He's, so he's, it's a long time since he revealed himself. If we think like that, it's, as Christians, and we often do, uh, maybe not um, expressively in, in, in that way, but we lose sense of God's presence. And we don't lose our salvation unless we habitually are living that way. Unless we've decided that God is wrong and that we are right. Uh, and that there is another theology, there's another way, there's another truth. That is causing God to be a liar, and His Word is not in us. And that matters, because as I said at the very beginning, we come here because we believe God has revealed truth, and it's not just something we, we decide or make up ourselves. So, as we live in the light, we're walking with God, and that involves confessing our sin, don't be afraid, you know, that your sin's too bad. How often have we heard people say, oh, I can't come into a church. The church roof would fall down because I'm so bad. Please, give God some credit that he's the living God and that he knows our hearts and we don't need any pretense with him. We are pretending with each other a lot of the time, but we shouldn't be with God. And he says, look, confess your sins because I'm faithful and just. I've punished them in the person of my own son, Jesus Christ, out of love and voluntary desire for you. Uh, the, the Christ uh, fully uh, came in as the Spirit did with me in this plan of salvation. So please, I will not punish your sin twice. Confess, be honest. And lastly, as part of that, and I think most powerfully, then we fellowship with one another. And that's repeated as the logos, the word, uh, the message, three times in this short uh, letter. If we, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That is the implication that he wants to, to drive home from this short letter. That we are not to be uh, living our Christian lives on our, it's the whole focus. Walking with God is a given Therefore, we share commonality and love, and we share this road, this walk with other Christians. We're on this road together. We're on a, a, we have an eternal future destination, and that destination is not one birth. We're in a part of a multitude that nobody can number. And we are to fellowship on that road together and share that road with our spiritual family. Heaven is not me and my God and even me and my God and reuniting with my uh, earthly family, however significant that may be. Heaven is a society, it's a nation, it's a family, it's a flock, it's a people. And I think sin in our lives makes us very often want to, to uh, categorize or identify ourselves in what separates us from one another, isn't it? We're Scottish, not English. We're Hibs fans, not Hearts fans, of course. Uh, and there's lots of different ways that we separate ourselves out and make ourselves different. 
And we do that as Christians. We're Presbyterian, not Baptist, Reformed, we're not Arminian. We, we have lots and lots of divisions that we make. Now, a lot of them are significant and, and not unimportant. But what lies beyond that is much more significant. We're not to be naive. We're not to expect everyone to believe the same things in every aspect. But in all honesty, as we are walking in the light, we focus on what unites us rather than what separates us. It doesn't need to be institutional unity. But in Christ, if we're spending eternity with people, let's start living like that now and confess when we fall short. We're walking towards a Trinitarian love, which is a perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the whole of our remaining battle is against sin, which revolves around that separation, division, hatred, moving away rather than moving towards, condemning, criticizing, avoiding confession, focusing on the multitudes of sins of others without confessing our own and without allowing love to cover over a multitude of sins. And so we are called to love one another sacrificially rather than saying that simply doesn't matter. And that's tough. It's not an easy walk. It's so tempting to walk away, isn't it? Tempting to justify ourselves. Tempting to say, I know better. Tempting to say, I've been badly treated. In the congregation, let's not just make it theoretical. Let's think of our own saint sees, the congregation that we're part of here. We are called never to deny the centrality and the command to love one another, and especially love when there's brokenness or when there's division or when we hear things about other people or whatever it might be. Because if we deny that, the centrality, the significance, and the hard work that's involved in that and the transformation of our hearts, then we're calling God a liar. But we're called to live like that. And St. Columbus, that's what we'll, you know, we talk about community, family, how important that is, generosity, uh, hospitality. We talk about all these things. They're not secondary. They're not insignificant. They're not just our particular distinctive. They're not things that we can just get tired of and, and retreat into our own shell. This is our, fun, our understanding of fellowship with God. It is basic, important, crucial theology. As we fellowship with God, we love one another. And that gives us a global perspective as to our Christianity stops as being insular and uh, isolated and isolationist in the way we live our Christian lives. So, read this again. Read the whole of it again. My little children, my dear children, ten times, old saint, probably not far from his death, who walked with Jesus, who had heard it and seen it all, this is the message he wanted to leave inspired by the Holy Spirit that we have fellowship with God and therefore because of that we love one another. I, w I wonder what message we will share in our dotage. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we pray and ask your blessing on uh, your word. We pray that you would take it and apply it to our hearts and to our lives 
Uh, we would be challenged by it, comforted by it. What great comfort in walking in fellowship with God to know that we can not run away and hide like Adam and Eve did, but we can confess our sins because you're faithful and just to forgive our sins because of what you have done. You paid the price. You're light, and there's no darkness in you whatsoever. Forgive us when we accuse you of being having darkness in you, when we accuse you of lying or being unfair or unjust or capricious or... Uh, Anything uh, that is wrong and sinful, hard to understand a being that is all light in whom there is no darkness and not a solitary being, but one in Trinitarian love. Astonishing truth. May we meditate on today. May we consider the events of what is happening in the city today and meditate on on these truths uh, or these realities that we find and and look at them with the perspective of being followers of Jesus uh, and the reality that your kingdom will come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.